Well, good morning. My name is Kevin Barra, and uh, sorry if I haven't met you yet. I'm a youth pastor here at Grace, and, uh, but the way I like to describe it is I get to play with everyone, so I get to see over, oversee youth ministry across both campuses, uh, and third, as it's going to be coming. Um, I have a beautiful wife named Hillary and three amazing kids, a five-year-old daughter named Peyton, a almost four-year-old son named Micah, and an almost two-year-old son named Jesse, and Quattro on the way, and uh, do, thank you, do somewhere in the end of November, early December, uh, our fourth child, if that reference missed you, um, our fourth child is coming in that time. And what will it be? I do not know. Quattro is the name at this point. And then once we, uh, once that baby arrives, we will reveal to the world what our, what our baby is. So uh, we're going to be looking at authority this morning. And uh, what's interesting, a happy 4th of July, by the way, right? But what's interesting to me, uh, as I thought about the idea of authority, um, I realized that the way we got here is actually not through obedience to authority, but rejection of it. So it, it, it hit me when I was uh, in, in, just after I graduated college, I was running track and uh, right after I'd finished, I was trying to run on my own, trying to make it work, which meant that I was surviving on ramen and hope because there's not much money in distance running. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm there and I got a buddy who's a roommate who's trying to do the same thing. And I had a knee injury at the time. And he said, hey, well, my dad uh, does these medical experiments in Boston and if you go be part of his medical experiment, you can get a free MRI and you can see what's wrong with your knee and you can help my dad out with his little medical experiment. And I'm like, huh, all right. You know, so I was 22, I didn't know any better. So I'll go sign up for your medical experiment. And, and I didn't know it at the time, but his mom uh, was gonna pick me up and love to give people tours de Boston. I also didn't know this other little tidbit until I arrived. Uh, she was British. So I arrive in Boston and I'm tired. I'm hoping to take a nap. And she goes, come on in, let's go see, you know? And so she takes me in the car and we go around and she gave me the tour de Boston, the, Brit- the history of our nation, of the Revolutionary War with a British accent, right? And so we're going, she's like, there's Boston Harbor where you threw our tea into the water. You know, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. She brings me to Paul Revere's house. And so we, we go and he goes, oh, there's where he lit, you know, the, the one if by land, two if by sea. There's where he lit it. And he warned you we were coming. And I'm like, oh, wow. So all I have to say, you haven't lived until you've gotten the tour of Boston with a, by a British woman, right? So it was awkward. And it was at that moment that I just kind of hit me. I was like, wait a minute. The way we got here wasn't through submission. It was through rebellion. It was, it was no taxation without representation. You're not going to tell me what to do. And I thought about it a little bit further and I went, wait a minute, we're from Texas, right? And just one little thing needs to go wrong at the national level, you know, something with Washington or whatever. And we'll just say, okay, people. And every Ford F-150 with a bumper will get a brand new bumper sticker about that time. And it will say what on it? To see, that's right, right? Because the truth is, and if you're not from Texas, you're just visiting, welcome to our little crazy. Uh, Here's the deal. The only reason we're part of the union is because we chose to be, right? And we can take it back at any point, right? Like that's the view of Texas, right? Some of you, I don't know. Okay, but, but that's Texas, right? A rebellion against authority. But not only that, in our workplace, I was reading several um, articles about job satisfaction. Where do you find the, the greatest place to discover job satisfaction? What t- type of jobs should you look for? And it had all of these things you should look for in a job. But the number one across the board was this, autonomy. 
And one of the articles quoted uh, a 40-year-old theoretical framework known as self-determination theory. And it argues that people discover job satisfaction. How? The first factor in determining whether or not a person will enjoy their job is this autonomy. The feeling that you have control over your day and that your actions are important. And the truth is, what we don't want in our life is authority. What we really want is autonomy. We don't want our nation to tell us what to do. We don't want our boss to tell us what to do. And if anything goes awry, we're like, okay, I'm going to take my autonomy from your authority. And if, with all this rebellion against authority that, that's just present in our culture and within me, it made me ask the question, okay, where did authority come from? Like, who set this up? This up? If there's so much push against it, who established it? The answer might surprise you, and it came a lot sooner than you think. It was God. And it was God in the Trinity. There was authority structure in the Godhead from eternity past, where it was Father, Son, and Spirit submitting themselves to the leadership of the Father. And then God then created humanity. And he gave humanity authority. He brought man and woman and and Adam was excited about that move. And and they brought them together and they began having babies. And God gave parents authority over their kids. And then in Genesis chapter 8, we see the first inklings of governmental authority. Or chapter 9. When God told Noah that whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. Because man was created in God's image. And so you get the first inklings of, of justice in Genesis 9. And Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And Peter says it this way. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperors as supreme Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And so the truth is, we have authority structures. They were established by God from eternity past and they continue in our present day. And the truth is this, you want authority in your life, whether you realize it or not. And all you have to do is go to one Little League baseball game and realize that everyone there wants authority. I remember the first time I ever went, you know, every parent is basing their hopes on the success of eight to 14 year olds, right? Like my future is based on their performance. And I saw the umpire. And at first I thought the umpire wore the mask to protect him from the pitches. But now I know better. It's there to protect him from the parents, right? If I was ever an umpire, I probably never will be. But if I ever was, I would keep the mask on. Sometimes I take them off. No, no, no. Leave it on till you get in the car, get on the highway, and then you're in a safe distance away. Because they take heat, right? Not from the pitcher, from the parents. They want the right call. And the truth is this. We want an authority to make the right calls. We want someone in charge to call a strike a strike and a ball a ball. We want someone there with authority to make the right decisions. And so this is where Proverbs comes in and helps us. See, the book of Proverbs is written in how to navigate life well, how to make good decisions in the midst of the situations we walk into. And one of those situations that you will always encounter is that of authority. And so what I'm going to look at this morning what I, with the rest of our time is I want to look at how do, I, how do I respond when I'm in authority? What do I do when I'm under authority? And how do I view 
all authority under God's authority. And there's three in the first, two in the second, one in the third, three, two, one. So we're going to get going, right? And so what's interesting, as you look through Proverbs, the, the, the starting point actually is, is in a phrase that's surprising, and it's that of the king. The king is the picture of authority in Proverbs. And for, for most of us, we say, well, I'm not a king, and I don't have kingly authority. So, so, so how does that relate to me? Especially you men, because you may have a home, but the only throne in your house is the toilet, so you might, that's all the authority I've got. But the truth is this, you all have levels of authority, and it may not be a king, but you might be a parent. Parents in the room? Mm-hmm. Yeah, raise your hand, yeah. God gave you authority in your home. Or you may be a boss. We have any bosses, people that work underneath them? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like one or two people want to claim that. I know more of you are. Uh, you've got people that are underneath you that you have authority over. Or you may just be a project manager. Or you may be part of a group project students that you've got to lead. And so there'll be some level of authority that you have. And even if you choose to be an upwards basketball coach, you'll have authority over those kids. And so the question is, when I'm in authority, how do I exercise that authority well? Well, there's two questions I would ask you first to start off with. When you're in authority, how do you leverage it well? The first question is this. What type of authority am I going to be? Now to push that a little bit further, I would ask you this question. Will I be controlled by circumstances or will my character be the anchor in the sea of cultural change? Will I be controlled by circumstances when I'm in authority? Or will my character, my Christ-centered character, be the anchor in a sea of cultural change? Several months ago, I was watching an interview with uh, Lance Armstrong, and it was done on the BBC network. Now, if you don't know who Lance Armstrong is, he's one of the most famous cyclists um, our, our world has ever seen. And he was taken down because of his use of performance-enhancing drugs. And a couple of years ago, he stood before Oprah and confessed all of his sins, as everyone should in front of Oprah. Um, but he did a more legitimate interview, I think, uh, in front of uh, the BBC network. And it was about an hour-long interview, and they were asking him all sorts of tough questions, like, why did, you, why did you take the PEDs? Did you really have to? What was going on? And everyone knew that he was the ringleader of it. I mean, he was the head of the Postal Service team. He was the authority of that organization. What he said went... And Lance knew that. And the interviewer said, like, well, well, why did you do it? He said, back in 1995, when I was just a young kid wanting to ride my bike against the best in the world. And so I arrived in Europe as just a young punk kid. And there was a kid from Australia, a couple kids from, um, from Europe, another American. And we're there. And we realized we can't compete against the best. And so in 1995, they had to make a decision. Am I going to do whatever it takes to compete? Or am I going to pack up my stuff and go home? And the interviewer kind of pressed him a little bit. He said, well, you, you could have gone home. You, know, you could have gone work at a bike shop, gone back to school. And, he's, and he says, yeah, yeah, I, I could have gone home. And then the interviewer said, okay, well, if you would have gone home, at least you would have had your integrity. And then Lance said, I don't know anyone that keeps their integrity who does that. And then the interview stopped and it ended. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, Lance. I need more on that. So what you're saying is if you hold to your integrity, doing the right thing regardless of the circumstances, if you hold to that, that's not the life you want to live? 
You've got to explain that. But you see his paradigm. He says, no one wanted to be in that situation. But when the temperature turned up, when my life was on the line, when it was go, do whatever it takes to win or go home, I'm doing whatever it takes. And when you have authority, people want you to make the right decision. People want you to do the right thing. So the question you got to answer for yourself is, is what's going to control my decisions? My hope is that it would be, your, it would be Christ-like character. It would be that your devotion to Jesus would influence every decision regardless of the circumstances. And so the first thing that we're asked to do when we are in authority is this, to reward what's right. Proverbs 24, 25 through, 24 through 25 says this, he who says to the wicked, you are righteous, peoples will, will curse him, nations will abhor him, but to those who rebuke the wicked will be delight and a good blessing will come upon them. Proverbs 29, four, the king gives stability to the land by justice, but a man who takes bribes overthrows it. And so when you're leading an organization or a country, there are certain actions that will, that will bring honor to the, to the organization, to the country, to the family, and there are certain actions that will, that will rip the honor away. And one of the things he lists is if you take bribes. There's no stability with people that take bribes. And if you've been following uh, kind of world news at all with FIFA, the organization, the soccer organization, the leaders were brought down over this issue. The leaders were taking bribes, allowing uh, teams and World Cups to go to certain countries. And, and suddenly the whole thing's brought down because of his decision to take bribes and pervert justice. Proverbs 20, 28 says this, loyalty and, and truth preserve a king and he upholds the throne by righteousness. 1434, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And the first thing you need to do when you are in authority is first to reward what's right. That means the right actions you celebrate and the wrong actions, we'll talk about that in a second, but the right actions you celebrate, you reward them. And the truth is you want a team, you want a coach who does that. You want a coach that rewards the right players and doesn't give playing time to the ones making the wrong decisions. And you want, a, you want an office that works that way. As a boss, you want your boss to reward the right actions and you want the, the boss to punish the wrong ones. And so secondly, not only do we reward what's right, we punish what's wrong. Proverbs 20, verse 26 says this, a wise king winnows the wicked and drives the threshing wheel over them. It's one of my favorite verses. It's harsh, right? I'll, I'll give you that. But, but it says when you've got authority, when you've got power, what, you, what your responsibility is, is to, to take the wicked and put them to the side and take the righteous and put them to a different side and, and to punish people when they are not doing what's right. It's your responsibility as a leader, as a one in authority to, to separate them out. 28, Proverbs 20, 28 says this, sorry, Proverbs 18, 5 says this, to show partiality to the wicked is not good, nor to thrust aside the righteous in judgment. And Proverbs 25, 26 says this, like a trampled spring in a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. You see, we live in a world where we want people to reward what's right 
and punish what's wrong. It's what we want from our coaches. It's what we want from our bosses. And the truth is, it's what we need from our parents. And our world is screaming for people to be an authority and reward what's right and punish what's wrong. One of the worst examples of, of a failure to do this occurred uh, several months ago, actually in Dallas. There was a kid who was drunk driving and he got in a wreck and ended up killing four people, four young people. And he goes to the court and the kid's attorney needs to come up with some defense for these actions, like some sort of defense that's defendable before the judge. And so the attorney, the best defense she could come up with was that the kid was a victim of affluenza. Meaning, the parents never held the kid's feet to the fire. They never disciplined him on anything. They allowed him to get away and they covered it up, covered it up, covered it up. And the kid, man, he's just a victim that no one cared enough to hold his feet to the fire and to punish him when he deserved it. Our world is screaming for leaders that would do this. But the big problem, the big challenge that I would tell you in this is finding out, determining what's the right action to reward and the right action to punish. Because it can be tough. Proverbs 25.2 actually gives some insight on this. It says this, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. I didn't understand that when I read it for, at first. So God conceals, yet kings expose. I, I, I don't get that. But what he's saying is this. God's glory is unfathomable. It's unsearchable. It's so deep and so vast, you could never plumb the depths of it. Depths of it. One uh, commentator writes it this way. He says that religion that becomes ordinary and flat, if there is no boundary to our understanding, oh, sorry, religion becomes ordinary and flat if there is no boundary to our understanding of him. His point is this, God is so immense. He's so big that you could never understand all of the pieces of him. But when it comes to authorities, when it comes to leadership, you have a responsibility to dig deeply to figure out what's actually happening happening. People want an explanation. The glory of kings is to search out a matter, to figure out what's actually happening. And if you're a parent with kids, you know this is true. So I've got little kids. And so there'll be a moment when I'll say, you cannot run into the street. And what is the response? Why? Because you'll die if the car hits you. Why? The momentum and force of that vehicle versus your small frame uh, will end up crushing you like a little bug, okay? Why? Just don't do it, you know? <laughs> and you get frustrated, right? And if you've got kids that are teenagers, you get even more frustrated as they get a little bit older because the issues are a lot bigger and the whys are a lot firmer. Why? You know, you hate me. What? It gets a lot worse, right? And my natural bent, my natural tendency is to be like, because I stink and said so, that's why. But if you want to be a good parent, you walk through. You don't let your kids be disrespectful and mean, but you walk through and you explain the reasoning. You explain the wisdom behind it. You walk them through and show them this is why this decision will be destructive to you. This is why this decision will help you. This is why I'm rewarding you. This is why I'm punishing you. And it's not always easy to see it. But as a leader... As one in authority, we're called to do it. 
Proverbs 8, 12 through 17 says this of wisdom. If I don't know what to do. It says, I wisdom dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of the evil pervert speech, perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles who govern justly. And this is the key. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. See, wisdom is not caught, it's sought. You can't just live life and hope to become wise. You have to dig deeply to figure out what the right decision is on a particular situation. After the first service, there was actually a a man who was a former judge who came up and he says, I can't tell you how right you are and how difficult it is to determine what's right to reward and what's wrong and punish. But as one in authority, you're called to dig deeply and figure it out and do it. How do you do it? Wise counsel, dig deeply into the words of God, then you can judge righteously. But we're also under authority. There are lots of times when we're not just in authority, but we're under authority. How do you respond when you're under someone else's leadership? There's two things with this. The first thing I would tell you is this, to look to be heard. And to do that, I would encourage you to watch your actions. Proverbs 25, 6 says this, do not claim honor in the presence of a king and do not stand in the place of great men. The first step to actually be heard is to walk in humbly, to walk in knowing that you don't deserve that spot in front of that authority, to let that authority prop you up. In fact, Jesus gave the same advice. He says, whenever you go to someone's house for a meal, don't assume the seats of honor. Don't assume that you uh, deserve that spot of authority. In fact, let the one in authority promote you. But not only walk in humbly, secondly, in Proverbs, we see this. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, this is where it gets kind of crazy. Observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat. Okay, what? Okay. Put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food, nor toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. What is he saying? He says, walk in humbly, and when you walk before that authority, don't be trying to work the system. Don't be trying to manipulate them to give you what you actually want. Look to be heard. And here's the truth. Good leaders can smell it out. When you walk in under that authority and they, and they can tell you, you're just trying to work the system, trying to get them on your side, smart people can smell it out. You look to be heard. And lastly, you watch your actions and you watch your words. It says this, by forbearance, a ruler may be punished and a soft tongue breaks a bone. By forbearance, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue breaks a bone. You know what forbearance is? It's patience. It's long-suffering. You know what long-suffering is? It means you suffer a long time. That's what it means. And sometimes when you're under an authority, it can feel like, is this ever going to end? Some of you, in the, in the political situation that we're in, you, you, you may be feeling like, man, things are not going how I would want 
Some of you are excited, some of you are disappointed. Regardless of where you are in the spectrum, it can be challenging to be under authority. You know how you, how you live well there? You earn the right to be heard. You be patient. You don't let your words spout out. You be patient and you have a soft tongue. You know what a soft tongue is? I love the imagery. It's a soft tongue breaks a bone. It's like a flick of the tongue, like that, ah, and a bone's broken. I mean, it's awesome. But what is a soft tongue? It's one that doesn't fight. It doesn't yell. It doesn't charge for my rights. It, it's one that a ruler would want to listen to. So when you walk in humbly, you're not looking to work the system, and you speak graciously, then you are, you're beginning to be at a point where someone in authority wants to listen to you. So not only do you look to be heard, but secondly, you look to be helpful. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says this, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. I love that verse. What do authorities want? They want people, if you're a boss, what do you want from your employees? You want people that do the work excellently. You want people that know what they're doing, help you make the right decisions, and execute beneath you. You want people to do the work with excellence, not complainers, not cry cries. You want people that do the work well, and then you'll have their ear. Proverbs twenty two eleven says this, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. To me, that last verse really sums up this whole section. Do you love purity of heart? Do you have gracious speech? You'll have the ear of the person in power. Two examples of this came to, came to my mind. I had two friends. Uh, one was a grad student uh, working on his PhD in history. Another one was a chemistry student, undergrad student, uh, working on her chemistry degree. And the, the history guy, he's working with his professor who was very anti-Christian, anti-religious. And so he's working on his PhD, doing all that sort of work. And there came a point when that professor was actually building a porch in his backyard. And he's like, hey, I'll go help you out. And so he goes with him and he starts helping him build the porch over several weekends. And there came a point during it when, when the professor was just kind of mocking Christianity, mocking um, all sorts of belief systems and just was, was very dismissive of the whole thing. And my friend's just kind of working hard. Just listen, just listen. And finally, the professor goes, well, what do you think? He goes, well, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. <laughs> That's just like, oh. And he shut up. And he watched his life. He said, over time, I began to have a voice into that man's life because he saw the consistency of my character. Another one is, uh, well, she was a leader with us. She was a chemistry major. And she had a professor who was absolutely brilliant in the chemistry realm and, and all sorts of publications. And and she was working hard, working on stuff to try to get into her own, own PhD program. She's putting all the things together, running experiments, doing all sorts of stuff with the professor. And she was like a bubbly, sweet girl, you know? And he'd be like, oh, Christians are idiots, da, da, da. And she'd be like, oh, okay. You know, I'd just kind of go with it. And there came a point when Ravi Zacharias was coming through uh, as part of the Veritas Forum, um, maybe a year or so ago. And she said, I'm gonna go invite my professor to see him. And she walks up to him She's a hard worker. She walks up to him and says, hey, do you want to go listen to this guy with me? Talk about Christianity. Give a defense of the faith. He goes, because you asked, I'll go. And he goes with her. They go, they experience it. He goes, there's some interesting questions that, that I need to wrestle through a little bit. Then she gets a book by Tim Keller called The Reason for God. I'd recommend it to any of you. 
And she gives him, she goes, I'm going to write a little note. I'm going to give him this book. Tell him to keep reading it. She gives him the book. He says, I will read it because of who you are. I mean, I was amazed by that. The fact that you could turn the hearts of the people in power just by a simple, loving, consistent life. But let's just be honest. Being under authority or in authority is always challenging. It always is. And in fact, uh, the, the way that I even think about it is, is I think you think about authority like I think about authority. Like the first time I ever went to a camp. The first time I ever went to a, a camp was actually as a speaker. And we get there and they say, okay, well, well, we want you to climb the pamper pole. And I'm like, what is the pamper pole? And like, oh, it's that pole over there. And it's like a telephone pole, you know, 30, 40 feet high that I have to climb to the top of. So I go and I climb to the top of this pole and I'm like, okay, what now? And they said, well, I want you to climb on top and then jump. Jump? Well, who's going to catch me? Well, what you want to do is grab that bar in front of you. So jump and grab the bar. I'm like, okay, well, I'll jump and and grab the bar. Then what's going to happen? Well, you're going to have to let go of the bar and then they'll kind of belay you down. I'm like, wait, well, who's going to catch me? And there's like a junior high kid over there with the rope in his hand. I'm like, that guy? And honestly, that's how authority can feel sometimes, right? Like, we're up there, our life is in someone else's hands, and they don't know what they're doing over there with the rope, right? There's a, I'm going to trust that guy with my political destination, with the, the, the hopes of our nation, with, with my career path in the company, my, my parents, like, they're junior high kids, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. To trust yourself in that authority can feel like a very disheartening, scary event, or if you're in authority, sometimes you feel like the kid, like, I don't know what I'm doing. You're like, I got to make the calls. But here's the truth. Beyond every authority, there is a higher authority. And although it may be terrifying to be either in authority or under authority, there is an authority above all of those small a authorities. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says this, that Jesus created everything whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things are created by him and for him. See, Jesus is the head of all authorities and he delegates that authority to people, imperfect, unqualified, messed up people like you and me. But Jesus is ahead of it. And Oz Guinness has this quote, and I think it sums it up so well, that I don't look to authorities to help me in my destiny. I look to the one who's over every authority. Oz Guinness says it this way. I live before the audience of one. Before others, I have nothing to prove, nothing to gain, and nothing to lose. There is one authority over every authority. He's ahead of the king. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Proverbs 29, 26. Many seek the king's favor, but justice for men comes from the Lord. You're uncertain about your future. You're uncertain about who's holding the ropes of your life. God is. He's in control. He controls the people above you. He controls the circumstances around you. And even in the midst of uncertain times in America, God is still on his throne. He's in control. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous runs into it and is safe. The fear of the Lord leads to life 
And whoever has it rests satisfied and he'll not be visited by harm. What are the promises that we can hold on to? And every authority, whether you're in it or under it, there is one over it. And it's to him that we run to. He's our strong tower. He's the one that's in control. And he's the one that we can trust in the midst of all of our uncertainty. And if we trust him, it will lead to life and we can rest satisfied. And the truth is this. Some of my favorite stories are from men and women who stood in the face of overwhelming opposition by authorities and stood in faith. One of my favorite stories from the, from the Old Testament is from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. These three guys stood in front of a corrupt king who had built a statue to, to himself and said, look, bow down or you're going to die. And what did they say? They said, we won't bow down to your statue. Our God can save us. But if not, we still will not bow. One of my favorite first century martyrs was a man named Polycarp. The man was in his, his 80s as he was brought in, in front of the, the Roman court officials. And at that point in time, Christians were persecuted. Uh, it was not a safe time to be a Christian. And as he's standing there in front of that authority that literally held his life in their hands, his family gathered around him. And they said to him, hey, just deny Christ. Just deny your faith and, and, and you'll be able to live out the rest of your days in peace. Just, just this one statement, this one time, and then everything will be safe. And he stood before those authorities and said, for 86 years, he has been my king and he's never done me wrong. How could I blaspheme Jesus when he's done so much for me? And he stood in faith and was put to death. And what was amazing is as they watched him burn, men and women that watched him and even some of the soldiers that were part of killing him came to faith. The Christians were encouraged. Non-believers became believers. And God is glorified. See, there's one authority over every authority. We bow our knees to him. And even if it goes really south, we know that in eternity, everything will be set right because he is the one in total control. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for all of your grace, all of our hope of, of safety and satisfaction and no pain is present and powerful and can um, restrain us from, from trusting you, Lord. But Father, I pray that we would see our positions of authority and our positions under authority as opportunities to glorify you. And Lord, I pray that in the midst of uncertain times that we would trust you with our entire heart, soul, mind, and strength, knowing that you hold the rope. So Father, we love you. We love you. I lift up these people to you that you would protect them and guide them. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. You have a great morning.